morning. My name is Josh Brooks, um, and my family and I have been going here for about a year. Um, you may not know me. I'm sure you do know my wife and daughters, uh, Marie, Avery, and Mallory right there. They're the real celebrities in our family, so um, I get that everywhere I go. Oh, you're, you're Marie's husband, or you're Avery's dad, or you're Mallory's dad. But um, We've been going here about a year, like I said. We lead a small group on Sunday nights, and uh, we're just so thankful for this church. Um, some of you may be uh, been here a while, some of you may be new, um, but we're glad you're here. We're thankful you're here. Uh, and like I said, this church has meant a lot uh, to us. And, and as I get started, I want to share uh, just an instance where this church meant a lot to me um, back last August. So I'm a coach at Jackson Academy. My wife uh, works at Jackson Academy. I'm the boys basketball coach. And last August, uh, Nathan uh, led us all through a prayer time for teachers and coaches and, and all those things as the school year was starting. And um, uh, teaching and coaching, I don't know if there's anybody else in here that, that does that. Uh, and I know a lot of jobs are hard, but those are hard jobs. Uh, there's a lot that goes on. School years can be difficult. Seasons as a coach can definitely be difficult. A lot goes into it. And, and as we were praying that day, I, I was thinking about uh, the upcoming season and all my worries and all my anxiety about what that season would look like and, and what we would accomplish or not accomplish. And we sang a song, and Nathan uh, encouraged us to, to pray that song, and it was uh, a song called You Hold It All Together. And uh, the, I guess it's the bridge of that song says, God of my present, God of my future, you write my story, you hold it all together. And... In that moment, that was uh, just such a peace for me, and it was a peace that I hung on to throughout the year, and our season was very up and down. Uh, we had a lot of highs, and we had a lot of uh, uh, pretty, pretty low lows, as my wife will attest, as a coach's wife, but uh, we ended really great, uh, but what I was reminded all through that season of ups and downs, and, and the, what comforted me through all that was this, that that idea that God is in control, that he writes the story. And even more than understanding that he writes my story, I think what I learned this year is that my story is God's story. And that the story of my life is not the story of me. It's the story of God. He's the main character. He's the hero. And so today, as we look, uh, we continue to look at, at the life of Noah. We've been in Genesis for several weeks now, and Nathan started last week looking at the familiar story of Noah. And um, as we look into this story, I, I want us to see that, that the story of Noah is not a story about Noah. Ultimately, this story is about God. And, and so I want to, as a way of reminder, just go back to Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, and, this, and remind us of where we are in this story. And Genesis 6, 5 through 7 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And if the story ended there, then this story would be about the flood. The main point would be God's judgment, but it's not where the story ends. Verse 8 
goes on to say, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So while this story does tell us about the wickedness of man and God's judgment on that sinfulness, it's not what this story is about. It's not what the Bible is about. It's not what Christianity is about. Christianity ultimately is a story of salvation. And to see this in the context of the whole Bible, uh, I want to look at Matthew chapter 24. And in this passage, Jesus uses the story of Noah to communicate that another judgment is coming. Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39 says, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus is saying that just like this judgment came, another judgment is coming. And people will be eating, drinking, going on with their life, and then it'll happen. And this reminds me of what happened in this two years ago, almost two years ago from right now, when COVID hit. And I don't know how you were, but I was kind of dismissing it. Uh, I had a friend who's a, he's, he's, he, he, he likes to keep up with the, the world and what's going on, and he kept telling me, this COVID thing is real. This COVID thing, I'm telling you, something's going to happen. And I kept dismissing it. I kept just moving on with my life, and, and we went on a family ski trip, spring break, and, and we're just going on with our normal life. And then we got back here, and no, we would never have thought that when we left for spring break that we wouldn't go back to school. And, and I know for some of you, you may not remember uh, maybe what you were doing when you found out everything was shut down, but you can probably remember the last time before that when life was normal, right? When you weren't going everywhere with a mask on, that when, where you could actually buy toilet paper. You know, all those things that were going on, and you remember life as normal, and then life was not normal. And I'm not even comparing the judgment to come to COVID, but but I think it gives us a clear picture of life will just be going as normal. And then it'll happen. It'll happen. And so um, as we look at this story of Noah and the judgment that's been declared and that, that Jesus will one day come again to purify this earth, earth judging the violence and wickedness and even the sinful, heart, sinful thoughts of our hearts. But when that day comes, none of us will be able to stand. None of us can survive that judgment but like in the days of Noah, when God provided a way of salvation, God has intervened for us as well. And I want to look at that today as we continue in the story of Noah. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to read Genesis chapter 7. I'm going to read all the verses, so 1 through 24. Genesis chapter 7 says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household." For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground." And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. 
of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month of the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell upon the earth. 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, and creeping things, and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So again, this is a story of salvation. And I want to look at three things about this story of salvation. Three things will be the way of salvation, the recipients of salvation, and the timing of salvation. So first, the way of salvation. In verse 1, God tells Noah and his family to go into the ark. And in verse 7, they obeyed. They went into the ark. God had given them a way to be saved from the flood. They had to be in the ark. There was no other way provided. This was the only way. And in the same way for us, God has provided only one way for us to be saved from the judgment to come. John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Acts 4.12 says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is all throughout the Bible. Countless times it tells us, it's crystal clear, that salvation, that rescue is in Christ alone. It's interesting details, I think, in verses 19 and 20. If you look at 19 and 20 in chapter 7, it says, And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. So last week when we were looking at the the building of the ark, we talked about a cubit, that a cubit was about 18 inches. And so what this is telling us is that at the, the highest waters, when, when the waters had reached their, their highest level, that even the tallest mountain 
the highest mountain on all the earth was still 22 feet below the water. And so I think this is very an interesting detail because if you think about all those who were not in the ark, all the people as the waters came and the, the, the waters rose, what would they have been doing? They would have been looking for higher ground, right? They would have been looking for a hill, a mountain to climb, to get away from the waters, to find dry land. And so as they're doing this, they're climbing, they're working, they're, they're getting to the highest point. But no matter how well they climbed, no matter how high they got, it wasn't high enough. Their efforts, their climbing could not save them. And in the same way, we can never be good enough to earn our salvation. We can never be good enough to earn God's favor and his blessings. We're either going to drown or we are in Christ. There's no in-between. We are either trusting in our own efforts or we're trusting in Christ. I think one of the most sobering passages in the Bible is found in in Matthew chapter 7. And it's not going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read it for you. It says, "Enter, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And listen to this. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I think this is especially sobering because it describes people who were doing a lot of good works. They're prophesying. They're casting out demons. says they're doing many mighty works. Yet Jesus says, depart from me. I didn't know you. In other words, Jesus says to these people, he says, you were climbing hard. You got pretty high up the mountain, but it wasn't high enough. You weren't in me. You didn't have a relationship with me. You weren't walking with me. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot work for salvation. We have to be in Christ. Jesus is the only way to be saved. So if Jesus and the ark here, the ark points us to the fact that Jesus is the way of salvation, we also see here the recipients of salvation. And, and we, I don't know about you, but when I look at this, I question, how is Noah the recipient? How is he the one who God saves? In chapter 6, God describes Noah as a righteous man, blameless in his generation, And here in chapter 7, it says again, For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And and I know that I'm I'm sort of restating some of the things that Nathan talked about last week, but this, I think, is a very important point to make clear. Noah was not righteous based on his actions. He wasn't blameless because he didn't sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. In theological circles, this principle is called original sin. And in the Westminster Confession, it says it this way. It says, by by the nature of Adam, 
being our root and representative, sin was imputed to all mankind, so that all mankind is dead in sin and wholly defiled in every way. In simple, more simple terms, this would say we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. This is a very crucial doctrine for Christianity. It's very important and, and certainly don't have time to get into that today. But what we do know, what we can take from this truth that's throughout Scripture is that Noah wasn't perfect. He wasn't sinless. He wasn't perfect. So how can he be called righteous and blameless? Hebrews 11 gives us the answer. In Hebrews 11, verses 6 and 7 says, And with, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Faith, Noah's faith is what made him righteous. Faith is what made him blameless. Faith that believed not only that God exists, but that God would save those who seek him. Tells us in that passage that Noah was an heir of righteousness. An heir is someone who inherits, inherits this righteousness, is given this righteousness. And so Noah is righteous, he is blameless through his faith. His faith made him righteous. So it wasn't Noah's actions that made him righteous before God, but Noah did have actions as a result of his faith. Think about if, if God had said to Noah, a flood is coming, build an ark, and Noah never built the ark. He never, went, he never did anything with that knowledge. He never changed the way he lived. He just continued going about his life. Would you say he had faith? Would you say he believed what God said? You wouldn't. Faith always has evidence. Faith always has actions. James chapter 2, the book of James speaks to this so well. In James chapter 2, 18 and 19 says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. That's shocking. I mean, let that sink in. Even the demons believe. Giving mental acknowledgement to the truth that God is God and that judgment is coming, that won't save us. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Listen to that, deceiving yourselves. What James is saying here is monumental. He's saying that if someone says they believe, they say they have put their faith in Jesus, but does not live differently, does not follow his commands, does not die to their own desires and live for him, does not walk with him, then that person is deceived. They've convinced themselves they're good with God, but they're not. Martin Luther famously said, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. 
When God spoke to Noah, when he called him to salvation, when Noah had faith in God, his life was changed, his actions changed, his focus changed, his desires changed. The lesson here for the story of our lives is that true saving faith leads to actions. It leads to a life that hangs on every word of God and lives to follow him and obey his commands. Uh, one of the podcasts I listen to sometimes is the Key Life podcast. Uh, it's a guy named Steve Brown. He's a pastor and author, and he has a super deep voice. He's like the perfect podcast voice. And he tells a story that I think does a great job of, of illustrating what it means to walk in obedience. And the story goes that, that there was a man uh, back, in the, back uh, before the Civil War that came to a town where there was a slave auction happening. And he walked into this town, and he walks up to the slave auction, and he sees a little girl in a cage over to his right. And he sees this little girl, and she's malnourished. She's filthy. She's beaten and broken. And he loves her. And he has compassion on her. And when, he, when the auction begins for her, he's determined that no matter how high the price no matter what he's going to have to pay, he's going to continue bidding until he has paid for this little girl's freedom. And so the auction happens, and he does. He continues to bid higher and higher until he has purchased this girl's freedom. And as the, he and this little girl are walking away from the auction site, he tells the little girl, you've been freed. I paid the price. You're free. And she looks back at him, and, and she lo looks confused about what it means to be free. And so she says to him, do you mean I can say anything I want to say? I don't have to be afraid of what will happen to me. And he looks down at her and says, yes, you're free. You can say anything you want to say. And again, she's confused about what it might mean to be free. And so she says, do you mean that I can do anything that I want to do? And again, he looks at her and says, yes. Don't you know what it means to be free? You can do whatever you want to do. And she still looks a little confused about what it means to be free. And so she asks one more question. She says, do you mean that I can go wherever I want to go? And at this, the man, he, he doesn't know how he's going to get through to her, so he gets down on one knee and, and looks into her eyes and says, yes, little girl, you are free. You can go anywhere you want to go. And she looks back into his loving eyes and says, I think I'll go with you. This is what it means to walk the life of faith. Faith that saves is never alone. It leads us to want to walk with our Savior, with the one who paid the price. The recipients of salvation are those who put their faith in Christ, and that faith leads to a new way of living, a walking with our Savior. So we have the way of salvation the recipients of salvation. And last, I want to look at the timing of salvation. 
The story of Noah and the flood takes a long time to unfold. And God is very specific to tell us all the waiting that goes on. According to Bible historians, the amount of time between God told Noah the flood was coming and the waters began was anywhere between 75 and 120 years. It tells us that after Noah and his family got into ark, into the ark, it was seven more days before the waters began. Then we know that the flood continued for 40 days and 40 nights. And it tells us then that there's 150 days after that that the waters continued over the face of the earth. So in verse 16, the Bible tells us that the Lord shut them in the ark. In other words, God shut the door. He sealed their salvation. It was secure. There was no doubt that they would be saved from the coming judgment. Their future was certain. But what followed that certainty was a whole lot of uncertainty, a whole lot of waiting. Noah didn't know how long the storm would last. He didn't know how long it would take for the waters to recede. He didn't even know how they would survive after they got off the ark. All this time, Noah was experiencing the storm all around him. He was living through all the trials and difficulties that you can imagine he would be having as this storm was going on all outside the ark. And he's got all these animals and, and his family in the ark. And you can imagine how difficult that time on the ark would have been. And the reason why this is crucial to our understanding of this story is that this is what our lives look like. God has told us that the end is coming. He has told us the way of salvation and drawn us into that way of salvation. Our future is secure, but we live in the waiting. We live in the assurance of our salvation, but still we live in the reality of the flood all around us. Back when Nathan was talking about uh, Genesis chapter 3, he read these verses, but I'm going to read them again because they give us such a great understanding of our lives and what they look like. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 25 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait. We wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What Paul's saying here in Romans is that much of life we are groaning. Our lives are hard. Our lives are often disappointing. Our lives are characterized by suffering, persecution. This is the truth of the consequences of sin and the curse of this present age brought about by sin. But we have hope. A hope in a future that we cannot see, but a, but a future that will come. This is why the Bible says that the righteous will live by faith. You see, if we live by faith in Christ alone, salvation, then you live in Christ. You're not simply in Christ on the day of judgment, safe from his wrath, but you are in Christ every moment, every minute of every day, from this day 
until that day. Isaiah 43 is one of my favorite passages. It's one of our daughter's life verses. And it says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Did you see that? I've called you by name. You are mine. The waters will come, but they won't overwhelm you. The fire will come, but you won't be burned. Why? Because I will be with you. You will be in me. You're safe from the flood. You're safe from the flames. Life is hard. It is a storm, but we are in the ark. We who believe are in Christ. No pain, no hardship, not even my own sinfulness can take me out of that security. Psalm 46 says it this way. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, and it ends with, be still and know that I am God. We may be afflicted, but we are not crushed. We may be confused, but we are not driven to despair. We may be persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We may be struck down, but we will not be destroyed. God is our refuge. We are safe in him. Our future is secure. We are still in the flood, but dry land is coming. In Mark chapter 4, we get the story of a time when Jesus and his disciples were out on a boat. They're out on a boat and a storm comes, a violent storm, a storm so great that it tells us that the disciples were afraid for their lives. And Jesus is sleeping below deck. And they go to him and they say, Jesus, wake up. Do you not care that we are drowning? Do you ever ask that question? The storm's going on all around you. Jesus, wake up. Do you not know that I'm drowning? And Jesus wakes up and he looks at the storm, the violent waves and the rains pouring down and he tells the wind and he tells the storm, peace, be still. And it says that immediately it was calm. And Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? And he says the same thing to us. Why are we so afraid? We fear because we forget. We forget that we're in the ark. We're in Christ. He goes before us. He goes beside us. 
and he goes behind us. He surrounds us. Our safety is sure and our future is secure. I'm going to give you this quote here from a guy named Peter Kreeft. And it says, Now suppose, just suppose, that both death and hell were utterly defeated. Suppose the fight was fixed. Suppose God took you on a crystal ball trip into your future and you saw with indubitable certainty that despite everything, your sin, your smallness, your stupidity, you could have free for the asking your whole crazy heart's deepest desire, heaven, eternal joy. Would you not return fearless and singing? What can earth do to you if you are guaranteed heaven? To fear the worst earthly loss would be like a millionaire fearing the loss of a penny. No less, a scratch on a penny. The story of Noah tells us the story of the flood. But the story is about God. It's about how God saves those who put their faith in him. It's a story that points to our lives and reminds us that our lives are ultimately a story about God, about, about God who has and who has rescued us and will continue to recognize, rescue us from all of life's storms. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even though we're sinners, even though that we're deserving of the judgment to come, even though you are right in your judgment, we are sinners, we are guilty, we deserve the judgment to come, yet you intervened. And the story of the world and the story of creation is ultimately a rescue story. And you have rescued us. Those who believe and put their faith in you, our future is secure and we give you praise for that. And we thank you that not only are we safe from the judgment to come, but we are safe in the storms of our lives now because we are in you. We are safe from the storm. Father, help us not to fear. Help us to remember the joy and the certainty of our coming glory. In Jesus' name we pray.